If I ask you what your greatest fear is as a writer, my guess is that you have an answer ready at the tip of your tongue. And my guess is that it varies for each of you. But I think that we all share a common desire. I mean, if you're here, if you're listening to this podcast, we all share a common desire that we're going to have readers. And not to have readers means that everything that we did, all the work that we put in, all the effort and the energy, it didn't matter in the end. And I know there are people out there, I've met them, I keep meeting them, who say, well, you could become famous after you're dead. For one, that really doesn't happen very often. I mean, that would be the exception to the rule. But for two, that's still failure. In my book, if I can't reach my readership, my audience, and have the joy of them experiencing my work, of sharing my work with them, I failed. Sometimes it feels inevitable that we'll run out of steam, that we won't have the energy to keep going. Because after years of effort and energy, no one's reading our work. You know your stuff is great. You know it's been good for a while. But you can't get people to stop and pay attention. And look, I'm guilty. I am guilty of passing by so many great books by amazing writers because I feel that I ran into it a moment when I was busy. And I forgot to put it on my to-read list. Or I assumed, and listen, I'm guilty. And I am, I am in the process of changing how I understand the literary landscape. But I, I have passed up self-published books that would have been better than the traditionally published books that I read. Because I had a misunderstanding of what was going on with self-published. I'm guilty of writing bad material because I'm in a rush to get something out there. I'm guilty of putting together poor podcasts because I'm in a rush to get something out there. And that means that if you run into me in the moment when I'm not at my best, you might never come back. And those thoughts plague me. Like I think that they might plague you. Those thoughts scare me. Like I think that they might scare you. It's frightening to think that what if we're just having an off day when we meet that person who's going to give us our big break? But because we're having an off day, sorry, you lost your chance. I don't know a writer who hasn't feared failure and futility at some point. And if I'm honest, I'm scared several times a week. I battle with what feel like or are existential crises. What am I here for? Why am I doing this? Does it matter? Can it change anything? Do I even like it? Because the burden of hope 
can be strangely heavy. And yet hope is what keeps me going day after day, hoping to break through. And I think you can relate. But I also know that we've seen writers around us decide it's time to quit. It's time to turn in. It's time to call it. It's time to hang up the keyboard and face quote unquote real life. I've been thinking about a lot of this since I started this podcast. And any of you who've been listening for a while, you know that it's taken me a bit to find my voice. It's taken me a while to know who I'm speaking to. Uh, and, and I'm still in that process. You might be expecting the Wednesday story show today, and you're hearing me monologue for the next 20 minutes. That's because I believe I can connect to you as a writer. I, I believe I can connect to you and to encourage you. That if you're feeling these feelings that I'm talking about, if you're wondering what the point is, if you're feeling a little less enthusiastic about writing right now, and you're wondering if it's time to call it quits, I can't tell you what to do. But this episode is for you. If you are feeling tired, but you know you want to stand your ground. Welcome to Create Collaborate, the show for creative writers aspiring to publish their first book. My name's Jody Spurman, and I'm determined to help you, whether you self-publish or storm the gated walls of agents and editors. Today, I'm going to share with you the secrets I've learned from industry experts and how you can speed your path to publication. Hey, if you have writer friends who listen to podcasts and want to elevate their writing and marketing game, let them know about Create Collaborate. Every week, I'm going to give you a bite-sized trickle of knowledge I've learned along the way. Sometimes it'll be an interview with an expert. Other times, I'll tackle lessons I've learned from my own writing life. And every week, I'm going to bring something to you to encourage you to keep writing, to get better, to learn how to market your books, to get your name out there, to overcome the obstacles that stand in your way of finding your readers. So thanks for listening in. I really appreciate you. I can't say enough how much it means that you've taken the time to listen to this show. Hope you enjoy. I was trying to come up with a, a, a clever way to package what I wanted to say today. And I came up with the most ridiculous idea I could possibly think of. So today's episode about fear, I'm calling it the tiger rules. And if you feel as uncomfortable hearing me say that these are the tiger rules as I feel saying it to you, that's a good start because it's memorable. Kind of that moment where you, you're dancing and, and you're getting in the groove and you're sort of feeling the rhythm and, uh, and, and because you're so into like thinking about, just, you know, getting in that moment, you don't realize that the, uh, the song is saying, Hey ladies, Hey ladies. And you're just, you're just dancing and people are looking at you and you're not a lady. I'm saying this because this actually has happened to me. Not just once either twice. I, I, I finally overcame my fear of dancing and I'm out on the dance floor sober as a stone because stones we know never drink sober. I'm out there. I'm getting my groove on. 
it's scary for me, but I'm just closing my eyes and feeling the rhythm and moving my body. When somebody taps me on the shoulder and they're like, hey, this, this part of the song isn't for you, fella. I swear, this happened to me two different times. So um, I don't dance anymore. <laughs> this is uh, the Tiger Rules, okay? The first Tiger Rule is recognizing what's really there. And how does this help you overcome fear? Well, fear is almost always, but not always, almost always a misunderstanding of the landscape. And certainly fear is amplified by not knowing what we're looking at. So the first of the tiger rules is recognizing what's really there. If you want to overcome the fear, you have to know what's really there. I don't know if you have ever had this thought before, but I have. I've wondered how in the world can a tiger catch its prey? Because they live in the jungle. And uh, every jungle I've ever seen is really green and luscious, vibrant green. It's pretty darn easy to see something big and orange tearing through the landscape after you. If you can see orange. And so I, I don't know if this will be a revelation for you like it was for me. But a tiger's prey, they're actually what's called dichromatic. It's the same thing that if a human being has it, it's called colorblind. Someone who's dichromatic does not have the cones in their retina to see the color red. And if you can't see the color red, you also can't see the color orange. So admittedly, scientists don't know exactly what's going on with a tiger and its prey, but they know that the eyes of the prey and the tiger for that matter are dichromatic. And so what they understand to be the case is that the prey of a tiger sees the tiger's orange coat that we see as orange as green. If your mind has just been blown, like my mind was blown when I found that out, I'll give you a second. Try to imagine a green tiger tearing through the jungle. You won't see that thing until it's right on top of you. And that's pretty scary. So how in the world would that help you overcome your fear? Well, if you know what you're looking for, it's a lot easier to know when you're seeing it. And the thing about fear is that fear is there for a reason. Remember, I said most of our fears our misunderstanding of what we're seeing. But once we get really clear on what we see, then fear begins to tell us when we're moving into dangerous territory. Let me give you a couple of examples of some dangerous things that you might be encountering as a writer. How about if you've been writing at the same time consistently every day, but you notice that over the past couple of weeks, that time is getting later, less reliable, shorter, less focused. Maybe you're browsing online when you could be writing. Maybe you're cleaning or tidying up the house. Any of these things, when you see them for what they are, should scare you because you're 
sacrificing the time that you've set aside to do the thing you love, that you're meant to do, for something that you could fit in anywhere that might not even be important. I mean, do you really need to scan through a thousand reels on Instagram? Seeing things for what they really are helps you to know when you're really in danger. And I know that's kind of bending things because, you know, are you the tiger? Are you the prey in this example? I'm not really sure, but I do know that it blew my mind when I imagined a green tiger. And so I really love the idea that its prey had dichromatic vision. You have to be able to know what you're seeing in order to deal with it. It's pretty simple. That's the first rule of overcoming fear is to know what you're seeing so that when you have appropriate fear, you can take correct action. What's correct action? In the example we had, it's, it's reclaiming your writing time. But it's also asking yourself, why am I doing this? Why have I been avoiding my writing time? Sometimes it's because you're writing something for somebody else when you need to be writing for yourself. Sometimes it's writing for yourself when you need to be writing for someone else. But you know, if you're seeing properly, that you're afraid of the right thing and it helps you to examine why you're doing what you're doing. The second of the tiger rules is knowing what you eat. I'll never forget when I learned this lesson because it changed fundamentally how I viewed people and my surroundings. I was sitting in a philosophy class and my professor was discussing free will. He asked us, do you believe in free will? And I'd say probably three quarters of the class raised their hands. We live in the Midwest. It is extremely religious here. Free will is a big deal. Some of the students didn't raise their hands. And that surprised me because I thought it seems really obvious to me that I'm making my choices. I choose whether to push snooze on the alarm. I choose whether to eat cereal or bacon and sausage. I choose whether to have coffee. I don't know why I'm hungry right now. I'm recording this before dinner. So my free will is do I finish recording now or go have dinner and come back? And I'm pretty sure that I'm going to finish recording because I would love to, 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 you know, finish my train of thought. It's tough, you know, to get in the mood, to get the feeling, to get the vocal tones the right way. This is not always easy. So I like to just, you know, knock it out, knock it out right now, get her done. Boom. Where were we? <laughs> so the philosophy professor is explaining how what we think is free will could possibly be something different. I don't think he ever, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think he ever planted his flag on free will or not free will determinism. I'm probably using the wrong word there. Somebody call me out, like shoot me an email if determinism is a completely different thing because I don't know philosophy. But I listen, I'm getting way off track here. The important part is take a tiger, okay? Because this is the tiger rules and this is a philosophy class and it fits perfectly in this conversation. The tiger can be presented with a giant wheelbarrow full of delicious, fresh lettuce greens and a plate with a cut of meat on it. 
The tiger is free to choose whichever it wants. And that's why it eats the person serving the meal. <laughs> True if it could. Let's, let's, let's keep any kind of like human death out of this podcast for the time being. The tiger eats the meat every single time. It could choose to eat the salad, but it's got genetic makeup. It's built to eat meat. It doesn't eat salad. No matter how delicious the salad is, it doesn't eat salad. I do have a cat named Chewy. He's my pod cat co-host. He will eat the occasional lettuce leaf. So maybe a tiger might take a nibble. But ultimately, why am I always doing this? This is way off track. Okay, here's the deal. Tigers eat meat. They're free to eat as much salad as they want, but they never do it. That's like us. I don't know how many times I've said before that writing almost feels like a curse. It's something that happens to you. It's a desire that grows up in you and you can't escape it. It comes to you and you have to do it. And if you ignore it, you feel off balance. You feel wrong. You feel unfulfilled. Accept, accept what you eat. You are hungry for a specific thing. Now, I was having a conversation with somebody on the podcast not long ago, McKenna Black, and she was talking about uh, her upbringing. And she was growing up believing that she had to write a certain kind of fiction in order to be taken seriously, rather than writing what she knew and loved. And I never heard of it framed that way before, and I've thought about it a lot since. Some of you are born to write high fantasy novels. Others of you are born to write urban science fiction. Some of you can't stick to a single genre to save your life. I feel a little bit that way myself. I have so many different interests and genres. I love to write quirky, weird stories. If I try to write something straightforward... It bores me. And I know that if I could write that straightforward story, it would be easier to sell. But you have to know what you eat. You have to accept it. You have to go for it. If you try to change what you eat, you're constantly going to be afraid. Because you'll feel a sense of lacking. You'll feel a sense of unfulfillment. You won't enjoy what you're doing. And that will lead to fear that you're doing the wrong thing. And now we're back to the first of the tiger rules. When you see things correctly, fear is instructive. The second of the tiger rules is know what you eat. Right now, I'm challenging you. If you're listening and this is hitting a note for you, I want you to drop what you're writing. I want you to drop what you're thinking. And I want you to take the appropriate amount of time to decide what is it that you uniquely can write. Is it a genre that no one's ever thought of before? Probably not, <laughs> because we've really had a lot of history of writing. But is it something different? Is it something you don't know how to describe yet? Is it something that you have to hit the reset button and, and search for and find? Whatever it is, do yourself a favor so that you will be bold and brave. Write what you're meant to write. Know what you're meant to write and write it. 
The third and the final of the tiger rules is understanding where you hunt. The way that I think of this is lions, tigers, and bears. Oh my. Actually, it's lions and wolves. Lions and wolves hunt in packs. They are comfortable chasing their prey in the open. They don't have to run faster than their prey, but they have to work together to isolate the weakest of their prey. Wolves and lions are the same. They look for the weak. They take down the weak. That's awesome. That's what they do. It's an amazing experience to watch wolves or lions hunt. But you know what tigers don't do? They don't hunt in packs. Tigers hunt alone in the jungle in varied topography with a dense shadows. They hide, they lurk, they sneak. They're quiet and calculating. You might have a, a, a negative connotation to some of those terms. And let me be completely clear. It's absolutely awesome. If you're able to collaborate with other writers, do it as much as possible. This podcast is called This podcast is called Create Collaborate for a reason. It's because I strongly believe in the collaborative process of writing. I've on multiple occasions approached other writer friends about writing stories collaboratively, about trading off chapters, about writing a chapter and then having somebody else take that chapter over and do what they will with it and, and using that refining process to create something unique. I'm really intrigued by collaborative writing. I think that it's frankly not done often enough as writers, but here's the deal. Even in a collaborative project, you always write alone. Writing is never done by committee like hunting. Storyboarding can be. You see it a lot in Hollywood. You see it a lot in movies. You hear about it a lot. But we have to accept that as writers, our art is largely done, calculated with cunning, quietly, by ourselves. You hunt in the jungle. And that means that the prey you hunt is accustomed to the jungle. Now, I know this entire podcast has really been on the edge of being strangely violent because of the hunting analogy. And now we're going to talk a little bit about finding your readers. So I don't want you to eat your readers. Don't do that. It's, uh, it's illegal for one, but it also is going to just affect your bottom line because you're not going to be able to sell any more books to somebody that you ate. This is where you have to be most cunning of all, and it's the place that's hardest to do it because we're always trying to convince ourselves that every person we exclude from our attention is a person that we can't sell a book to. When in reality, every person you exclude gives you the opportunity to focus more attention on the people who already want to read what you're writing. And that's the change that you need to make if you want to abolish the fear that no one will read your work. Please hear me now. If you're afraid no one will read your work, if no one has read your work so far, it only means you haven't found the people who are most meant to read your work work. 
You will find those people when you decide you're tired of wasting your time on people who aren't interested in what you have to offer in the first place. You've got to pay attention to the people you're specifically suited for and stop paying attention to the people who don't fit your needs and interests, your wants, your likes. It sounds so calculated when I say it that way. Find people who share your interests. Figure out where they go. And that's where you should be hunting. Again, don't eat them when you catch them. <laughs> Sell them a book. Make a friend. I'll be honest, I'm heavy-hearted today even as much as I'm encouraged. Because this work is hard. I'm in the middle of the process. Most of the time, I am right here with you trying to figure this stuff out and then bring you the value that I learned yesterday. You don't know how much I appreciate you. Thank you for spending 25 minutes of your day with me. I hope that as ridiculous as this analogy of the tiger and its prey and hunting has been, that it encourages you to re-examine how you approach fear and what your relationship to fear and striving is. Very few people will ever know how difficult your work is being a writer. Most people will laugh and think that it's easy and have no understanding of the struggle, the effort, and the energy you put in. So when you're misunderstood, please don't let that add to your bucket of fear. Thanks for listening today. And remember, you should never feel bad for telling your truth. So get out there and write. And if you've got a killer story, apply to be a guest on our show. Email me at jodyjsperling at gmail.com or find me on Facebook, Jody J. Sperling. And hey, there's no point in telling stories if nobody's listening. Nobody's listening.